Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to The Spotlight. We are your hosts, the Ambassador Harry Thomas, retired. And the Chief, Alex Morales. Hey, Harry, who do we have today out here? Oh, I am so excited. We have my very good professional and personal friends, Sadia Ahmed, who helped to teach me Bangla, but has so such a rich history uh, here and in Bangladesh. And her equally talented husband, uh, Professor Morshed, who's a professor of architect, but comes from also just a fantastic and giving family back in Bangladesh. So we're excited to have them and we want to thank them for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today, uh, Saria and Abnan. You're welcome. So please start. Please tell us uh, separately about your childhoods in Bangladesh and your families. Yeah, I, I grew up in a political uh, environment, both in Borishal and Dhaka. And my father was a member of the parliament and uh, worked with the father of the nation, Bangabandhu Sheikh Mujibur Rahman. He was honest, down to earth, and always cared about others. He was honest. And uh, that's why people were, was called a leader of the people. And I have four siblings. My mother, she was a government social service official. And my family always had a public service orientation. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, the, uh, first of all, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful conversation. And I am also from Bangladesh. And uh, I grew up in, uh, in a middle class uh, educated family. And uh, my father was a doctor. My mother was a homemaker. And uh, my one thing that I could tell about my family is how my father always uh, celebrated and championed education. So, uh, you know, a, a typical educated middle class family, and uh, that's where we are. Oh, wow. Great. Thank you. That was good. Well, you mentioned that your, uh, your families are involved in politics. So can, can you explain to our listeners how democracy works in Bangladesh? You know, like any other country, democracy is a process. Democracy goes through many challenges. In Bangladesh, democracy faced many obstacles. The father of the nation was assassinated with uh, his entire family in 1975. Then there was a military dictatorship throughout the 1980s. And Bangladesh has parliamentary democracy. Prime Minister, Prime Minister is the head of the government. There are 350 members of the parliament. Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina is helping build democracy and also building the country with modern infrastructure. 
Um, well, uh, you know, uh, your question doesn't apply to me because I don't come from a political family. You know, I come from a professional's family. My father was a doctor and all my brothers are uh, in education and they are all professionals. So, but, you know, like any other family, uh, as we were growing up, our country was going through independent struggle. So you had to be political. You know, there's no way that you could not be political. You had to be politically conscious, active, and in many ways, politics was part of everyday life. So like in America uh, or any other country, you have to be political in some ways. Although I, I, my family was not as political as Sadia's because her father was a member of the parliament and he was a a and a uh, a com, com, uh, comrade of the of the uh, father of the nation Bangabandhu. So you know it's a different kind of politics. And for my family, it was a politics of being uh, conscious. Oh, great! I hope you follow uh, uh, Sadia's uh, family's political party. I guess. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Go ahead. I, I have to, you know, I, if you want to live under the same roof, you have to follow the spouse's politics, right? Oh, Eric. oh my God. You have different opinions. Well, <laughs> <laughs> he, he can have a different opinion, but not you. <laughs> but Sadia, please tell us how and why did you choose to become an instructor in Bangla at the Foreign Service Institute? Yeah, well, um, first I came to U.S. Uh, in uh, Boston. Adnan was doing his uh, higher education in MIT. And after he finished his uh, PhD, he got an uh, excellent offer from National Gallery of Art. And then we moved to Washington, D.C. And I got an offer to teach Bangla in the Foreign Service Institute. And it was a great opportunity to meet, uh, meet and and uh, uh, in, uh, like diplomats and to help them to uh, to learn my language and culture. And uh, I was uh, so happy happy that I could share my knowledge of my country with many diplomats. And. Well, you know, for me, I took I took languages there several times. And but you were so generous in inviting us over your home repeatedly. And, and that's where we learned so much about culture um, of, of Bangladesh and meeting your and your and Adnan's wide array of friends. I even remember re meeting the president of Afghanistan's brother uh, one <laughs> night there, you know. So that was when uh, uh, 2002, when things were really important there. So that thank you for that. Yeah, and I, I was that, that was, I was always, because I cannot uh, uh, bring Adnan to FSI, and I thought if I uh, bring you all to our house, and then you can also meet him and get uh, some opinion from him and, and the insight of Bangladesh about the politics, culture, everything. I think that's great. Uh, having learned different foreign language as well, uh, I wasn't offered, I think that's a great approach, because I wasn't offered that opportunity to be emerged in the environment before I went abroad. You know, it was all academics. So I, it was very rigid when I was learning it. But 
Can you please tell us about the importance of a language and culture in Bangladesh? Either or, you can yeah, divide the time. <laughs> go ahead. Yes. No, you, you go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bangladesh is a country uh, which uh, and emerged based on language. During the Pakistan era, when West Pakistan leadership tried to impose Urdu, the language spoken in West Pakistan as the state uh, like language of entire Pakistan, Bangladeshis revolved, and uh, they, uh, I mean, and they were they don't want it to take that, and they uh, uh, like they are the challenge and they, uh, we had, um, you know, that uh, like we, we revolved and we, do, we, we just want to have our independent country and, uh, and our own language. Yeah. No, uh, I think that's it. That's a great, uh, great question. And uh, like any other country, language and culture are driving forces for a country to form their culture, uh, national identity, right? So Bangladesh is a unique case because uh, it's, a, it's a new nation. It was born as an independent country in 1971, but it was part of the Indian subcontinent. In 1947, when the British left the Indian subcontinent, they divided the country into two parts, uh, India and Pakistan. India was, India was uh, for Hindus, and Pakistan was for Muslims. So, um, so, but in Pakistan itself, the two, uh, Pakistan was divided into two countries, two, two wings of the same country. And one country, one wing or one uh, side of Pakistan, West Pakistan, dominated East Pakistan. And, uh, and uh, they imposed a language of the minority over the majority. I imagine, uh, uh, you know, Mexico coming to uh, America and telling that, oh, whole America needs to speak Spanish. So it will create some consternation, right? So India, it's like that. So uh, Bangladeshis were not happy and they revolted and eventually Bangladesh's independence was uh, derived from that language uh, confrontation in terms of language. So, so when somebody tried to impose a foreign language on one people, that people revolted. And eventually that country, that country emerged as an independent nation based on uh, uh, linguistic nationalism, if you like. Thank you so much. For, thank you so much for that. Uh, Sadia, you organized the first ever Pink March uh, to campaign against breast cancer in Bangladesh. So please tell our listeners about that. Yeah, you know, uh, you met my mother in, uh, in, yeah, in yes, Bangladesh. Yeah, and, uh, and my mother, uh, she had breast cancer. She died, uh, died of breast cancer in 2013. And uh, it left a deep uh, impression on me. After that, I created a nonprofit organization called Healthy Women, Wealthy Nation. The goal of this organization is to build awareness of breast cancer among poor women in Bangladesh. 
Uh, that's why I organized Breast Cancer Awareness Walk, both in the U.S. and Bangladesh. That was, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. That's amazing. I, I want to go back real quick, uh, Adnan, if you're talking about, because uh, I catched the, the, the last part, and I thought it was interesting where you were talking about how, you know, the Bangladeshis say, no, no, I want to, I want to, we want to speak our own language. We don't want to be if, being forced to, 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 to learn your language. How was that process when? So uh, what happened was in after 1947, when uh, Indian subcontinent was decolonized, and the two countries, uh, two, uh, the, the Indian subcontinent was divided into two parts. So uh, the founder of Pakistan, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, came to uh, East Pakistan, the eastern half of Pakistan, and said, no, you guys need to speak Urdu. Urdu will be the only national language. <laughs> so in, in many ways, from 1958 onward, uh, 1948 onward, a nationalism, a nationalist movement based on language was created. And in 1952, uh, the, in East Pakistan, the police fired on unarmed demonstrators and uh, a number of people were killed. And ever since, uh, that uh, galvanized the entire country to create a language-based nationalist movement, which eventually created Bangladesh in 1971 after a nine-month uh, civil war or liberation war. Oh, wow. So basically, a language created a country. Exactly. And with that, we're going to go to a short break, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the Spotlight. Welcome back to the Spotlight. We're back with uh, Sadia and Adna. So 
So it's been great. You're talking about how we learn about um, how Bangladesh grew out of a language in a way. So it's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Islam, Islam is the fastest growing religion in America, but so many are ignorant of one of the world's greatest religions. How does how do we increase knowledge? Just out of curiosity. Sabia, you um, want to respond? Uh, you should also uh, contribute. It's like through community organization, and you have to make people in people uh, opinions and. Uh, and then do you want to? No. Yeah. Yeah. You should. Uh, um, you know, I think it's a it's a great question. Uh, it's a you know it's a it's a question that allows us to think about America at present. So, for example, you said Islam is the fastest growing religion in America. How do you, but people are ignorant about it. How do you make people, uh, how do you increase knowledge? That's it. That's a great question. So I think uh, one has to explain what the religion is about. And there has to be, the, the dissemination of knowledge has to occur, occur through community organization, community outreach, you know, people is uh, Muslim people will have to explain what their religion is about. In fact, you know, I mean, Islam is not that different from Christianity. It's just the, you know, the the prophet system is slightly different. Otherwise, a Adam and Eve and Jesus, Jesus is uh, Isa in Islam. So he's the same God. So there is a lot of, is the same Abrahamic language, the the trio of Abrahamic language, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So they shared the prophets. So, but the in current American political context in our complex modern world, we just have to coexist and reach out to each other about our message. Islam is uh, fundamentally uh, a religion of peace and, and harmony. So. And I, I am sure all religion uh, champions peace and coexistence and tolerance and, uh, you know, a love of God. So I think people will have to just come together and be curious about each other. Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing that. I love that last phrase, love of God, because we all love God. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so thank you. We'd like to switch topics now. Uh, Adnan, you, were you fascinated by architecture as a child, and why did you choose to become a college uh, professor? We know one of the, the world's greatest uh, architects uh, uh, practice in Bangladesh, but please tell me about it. Uh, uh, not because I failed as an architect. <laughs> so, you know, I... Uh, uh, practice also as an architect, but Harry, your question is, is uh, fascinating. I think uh, I chose primarily to be a professor because I, my, I inherited a deep love of knowledge from my father and my mother. And, uh, you know, we, my father, since very early on, uh, taught us how to appreciate knowledge, how to read books. So I thought if I could combine the life of a practicing architect and an ed educator, I can inspire uh, generations of students. So I think it's that love of, uh, you know, from love of God, I think it's love of humanity that you can inspire humanity through spreading the light of knowledge. 
Well, many uh, Americans may not know about the history of architects in Bangladesh. Why don't you enlighten us? Sure, sure. Uh, you know, Bangladesh or Bengal has a long history in, in architecture. You know, the, some of the earliest architectural examples are from, Buddhist, from Buddhism. Many Biharas or Buddhist college campuses were built in Bengal. One of the most world-famous Buddhist college campus is in the north, north, northern Bangladesh, Paharpur, Mahasangar or Paharpur. It's one of the world's uh, greatest college, Buddhist college campuses. So there are a, a general, there, uh, there is a long legacy of architectural heritage in Bangladesh, uh, uh, Buddhist, Hindu, uh, pre-Muslim or Sultanate era mosques, and then Mughal architecture, of course, and then uh, colonial architecture, and now contemporary architecture. May I say that during the Pakistan era in Bangladesh, in the 1960s, uh, mid 20th century, one of the greatest epoch of archi for architecture in Bangladesh was, uh, was, uh, was possible because a lot of global architects, including many American architects were also came to, Bang also came to Bangladesh and created some masterpieces. And, uh, the, the great Philadelphia architect, uh, Philadelphia architect Louis Kahn, uh, who was an immigrant architect in the US who came from Estonia in the early 20th century, he became one of the greatest American architects. And guess what? He is the one who designed the National Parliament Building in Bangladesh. That oh, Parliament wow. Building, which uh, I'm sure Harry saw and experienced, is considered the Taj Mahal of the 20th century. And it is one of the greatest examples of architecture in the 20th century. And I'm happy to say that in uh, 2012, I brought 40 American architects who were single-handed, who were singularly interested in seeing Louis Kahn's building, the National Parliament building in, in Dhaka. Well, many of us have seen the Sears Tower in Chicago. And that was, that's actually designed by a Bangladeshi structural engineer, uh, Fazlur Rahman Khan. So a Bangladeshi, is the designer of the world's tallest building, Sears Tower, which is now called Willis Tower. And that building is designed by Bangladeshi. So we are, we are a global society. Ba Americans come to Bangladesh, Bangladeshis come to America. We are, we are uh, brothers and sisters, right? Yeah, to oh, well, me, you know that is my favorite country. So that's uh, <laughs> remain so. Mitty no longer gets upset when she hears that. She's used to it. <laughs> but I recall an article you, you wrote regarding why the 9-11 terrorists attacked the World Trade Center and not the Empire State Building. Can you enlighten us on that? Yes, uh, that article was uh, published right after 9-11. And I should mention that uh, my doctoral dissertation was uh, written on uh, American, uh, American fascination with aviation in the early 20th century. Americans were greatly inspired by uh, flight. You know, uh, the Wright brothers, uh, you know, America is in many ways the birthplace of aviation. 
uh, even though the French would not be very happy to listen to that. <laughs> so, but I, I was writing about 1920s and 1930s in America about America's fascination with aviation, how American cities were being transformed as a result of human flight. So when I was finishing that uh, doctoral dissertation, I was, uh, you know, 9-11 happened, that uh, the, this apocalyptic attack on American, uh, American cities happened, you know, occurred at the, uh, on 9-11 in 2001. So I wrote uh, a piece based on what I knew. The, the, this terrorist attack attacked the Twin Towers, in my view, because of the Twin Towers were icons of American prosperity, American technological progress and technological superiority. They were the tallest building in the world. And so by attacking the Twin Towers, uh, you were attacking American civilization, American psyche, American uh, civilization in many ways. So I thought that, and I argue, argued that Twin Towers, more than uh, Empire State Building, which was an American icon when it was built in 1931, but I think when the Twin Towers, much taller than uh, the Empire State Building, eventually became not only the icons of New York City's skyline, but also American prosperity, American economic muscle and strength. So by attacking Twin Towers, they were attacking America. Wow. Thank you so much. Interesting. Never thought of it like that. Uh, your sister is a world-renowned medical doctor. Can you please tell us about her work? Yes, uh, my sister, uh, who uh, Harry met, and uh, um, Harry, when he was the ambassador in Bangladesh, visited my sister's uh, pediatric surgery department. Uh, so my sister, uh, who never married, who never, who literally married to her profession, she literally dedicated her entire life to serving disadvantaged kids who could not afford to uh, pay for very complex surgery, uh, birth defects. So my sister uh, made, made it her second religion to help underprivileged kids whose parents could not pay for their uh, surgery, medical treatment. So essentially she was giving, uh, alongside her government job, she was the uh, she was a pediatric surgeon serving as a head of the Department of Pediatric Surgery in Chittagong, the second city in Bangladesh. So she was basically a great humanitarian uh, dedicated to the medical profession. And she was basically, uh, in many ways, a humanist. Oh, it's amazing how one can dedicate their life to help others when sometimes others don't want to help anyone. So I will please send our regards and our thanks for that. Well, let's turn to the United States now. Sadia, how do Bangladeshi immigrants view themselves? Um, Bangladeshi Americans are proud as American, Americans and, and as any immigrant community, they both love their adopted country and the country they left behind. Uh, they continued, uh, contribute to America, America and uh, like 
economically, uh, politically, culturally, and they are, uh, I mean, um, that is that they are very sincere, hardworking, and uh, enterprising, and they nurtured uh, their American dreams. Many of many of them are um, top, like professors, scientists, economists, government officials, and and business uh, businessmen. Yeah, and it's like you know any other. I think the Bangladeshi population in New York is really growing exponentially. And I expect one day that they will really become involved in politics. Yeah, they are. Uh, I mean, in, in Philadelphia, there was the uh, Bangladeshi woman, uh, uh, Nina Ahmed, actually. She, uh, uh, she was now attorney general. Um, she, she, yeah, she just, she, she she just, just became, became attorney general of Pennsylvania. Wow. And now oh wow! He's a Bangladeshi American. And now, actually, the Bangladeshis are—I mean—they are more into the American mainstream, uh, mainstream politics. politics. Do you see the the uh, friction between American Bangladeshi and Bangladeshis from the home country, <laughs> or vice versa? Yeah, and uh, uh, so the 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 question is: uh, Is there any friction between Bangladeshis and Bangladeshi Americans? Is that yeah. the question? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's an interesting question. Like any other, any other uh, migrant communities, there, <coughs> there are frictions, but also there is knowledge share. So, for awesome. example, uh, frictions in terms of, uh, I would say, more sh knowledge sharing than friction. You awesome. know, there is a mutual kind of dependence. So, for example, <coughs> when Bangladeshis, Bangladeshi Americans go to Bangladesh, they when they return home, you know, they also bring a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, knowledge with them and they share. And also there is re well, good reception on the part of the Bangladeshis. But also like any other country, there's also resentment okay. uh, you know, that you are, you left, you abandoned your country, your <laughs> country. So you are now coming back. Okay, we'll have to see how we can collaborate. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. 
the bottom line in business talk. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight. And we're back with the spotlight with Sadia and Adnan, and they were giving us a, a little bit of story and uh, explanation about Bangladesh's difference between the home country and the United States. Please continue, Adnan. So I was saying that your, to respond to your earlier question, that is there any friction, is there any antagonism between Bangladeshi Americans and Bangladeshis? Uh, I would like to say that... There- there's, uh, you know, there's, of course, camaraderie, there's knowledge sharing. And, of course, you know, people in Bangladeshi Americans also have family back home. So it's you are basically families are split, right, in many ways. So uh, I would say knowledge sharing, experience sharing, uh, those are those pro- pre-dom- uh, the dominate in the kind of the exchange and interaction. But uh, we also have to uh, pay attention to another phenomenon which is Bangladeshis, and uh, like any other developing countries, uh, the uh, people are getting richer. People can afford, uh, affordability is going up, uh, going up. As you know, Bangladesh is the second largest ready-made garment exporter to the U.S. So wow. if you go to, for example, Macy's or H&M or any other Zara, any store, and if you are buying a shirt, Look, uh, look at the tag. It probably would say made in Bangladesh. And I remember once former, uh, former President Donald Trump came to Larry King, uh, David Letterman's uh, show and he was talking about making things American and then he showed his tie. Guess what? Bangladesh. Bangladesh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, Bangladeshis are uh, getting wealthier. That means the disparity between Bangladeshi Americans and, and, and Bangladeshis are leveling out somewhat. And in fact, there is immense wealth <coughs> in Bangladesh in the hands of, of course, in the hands of top 10%, primarily because of industrialization and primarily because of ready-made garments uh, that has become the mainstay of Bangladesh's economy in the past uh, 30 years. Oh, wow. Thank you for that explanation. I think that's applied to many, many cultures. Uh, So, yeah, minorities in America are often lumped together. That happened with Hispanic people like us. You know, we all speak the the Spanish, so that means you got to be the same. So I assume that to have the same interest, how can we change those assumptions, you know? Yeah, the, all communities have their own aspirations and culture, cultural um, like uh, diversity, and there there is no one large minority. Uh, that is why America is America. It, it, you know uh, that diversity of people and uh, ideas actually foster uh, the creativity and. Uh, Edmund, do you want to join? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, uh, like any other uh, minority communities in the USA, minority communities are mo not monolithic. Uh, you know, Puerto Ricans, uh, you know, uh, Puerto Ricans in America, they have very different ideas. Uh, there is not one single monoblock of community, right? Correct. Uh, you know, and they vote differently, and they don't vote in of two uh, for one party, right? Even uh, Hispanics in America vote very diversely, correct? Incredible. So, uh, yeah. uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, uh, it. We have to uh, be more vocal in mainstream American politics and mainstream American culture, and. Uh, uh, the assumption that uh, one minority community is just one thing has to be challenged robustly in the public forums. Well say. Harry? You both were involved in the November election here in the United States. Please tell us how you were involved and why you got involved. No, you were more active than I was, uh, so go ahead. <laughs> no, I was uh, actually, I, uh, I uh, campaigned actively uh, for the Democratic Party in 2016. I was actually involved from, I mean, that time. And after that, I mean, uh, the, after the, the loss in uh, 2016 and seeing, I mean, Donald Trump as the U.S. president, I thought America deserved better. In 2000, in 2020, particularly after uh, uh, racial um, justice and uh, the um, racial justice movement, and uh, and was during during the summer, I I felt I I felt that, and also I, I felt obligated to work for a better America and. Uh, and candidate Joe Biden, and and there is a there is also a personal uh, I mean side of it. Joe Biden reminds me my father, and for me both Joe Biden and my father dedicated their lives for a better humanity. Humanity. Uh, I I I feel that that Joe Biden uh, also looks like my father. <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> that is awesome i think you covered a little bit uh at now but what are the challenges that bangladesh is facing america just out of curiosity yeah um so uh like any other community they face uh, many challenges i think uh one thing is uh bangladeshis face uh, you know, it's not a monolithic community. There are Bangladeshis who are in the government positions, Homeland Security to State Department to uh, Treasury Department. There are Bangladeshis, but Bangladeshis also are, uh, you know, uh, uh, low-income jobs. They are also doing low-income jobs, and so it's a pan uh, it's a panorama of opportunities that any community would uh, would face. So I think the challenges the community faces is, of course, system, systemic racism that is uh, so much part of, uh, you know, uh, especially in recent times, the rise of race, racism and, uh, and divisions and these communities uh, being torn apart by these kinds of, you know, uh, these kinds of rather intolerant 
political behaviors. So I, we hope that America, uh, the country of immigrants, the country of melting, you see, America is a melting pot that brings together people from all corners of the world. I think we should never forget that America is also an idea. The idea of America empowers people from around the world. Many people come to America as uh, to find a refuge, to find a shelter, because America is is a is a great story of humanity at its best. So I think uh, uh, the kind of challenges any community faces in America can be overcome, and America can can reach uh, to its highest potential. America is a, a great story. Oh wow. Harry. That is fantastic. Thank so I have, we have to ask both of you, what are you expecting from the Biden administration? So do you, you wanna go ahead? Yes, yeah, you, can, you yeah. can start and I will join. Okay, so, uh, oh, all right, okay, I will uh, take your <laughs> Since you permit, I will, I will, uh, you know, I will uh, with your permission, I'll go. So uh, I think uh, we as, uh, both Americans and Bangladeshi Americans, uh, we hope that the Biden administration would be able to restore uh, some uh, communal harmony. So all people coming together, some uh, semblance of discipline and civility is restored in America. I think we uh, the, the, the event, the kind of traumatic event of January 6th really shook us to our core. And this is not something we are used to seeing in America. America is a place where people can have, people are entitled to their opinions, but to resort to violence, to silence people who you don't agree with is just, uh, is just incredible and completely uh, antithetical to the idea of America as a place of tolerance, coexistence, and harmony. So I think with the fundamental thing, fundamental uh, uh, goal that we would like to see achieved by the Biden administration is restoring some civil order, some civility, and uh, making America an opportunity for all. Oh, and wow. also, like uh, also, President uh, Biden, uh, like selection uh, as a uh, like BP, the women BP, this is already met our uh, goals. goals. <laughs> so one one other one other thing I should add that uh, just uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday, uh, President Biden canceled uh, yeah. Justice Department's contract with private uh, 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 private jails, right? private uh, jails. I think it's a great uh, executive order to cancel this jailing of people, mm -hmm. internment of people as a business. I think that's the kind of, uh, uh, the kind of uh, uh, predatory capitalism who is not, is antithetical to the idea of America as a democratic place where justice must prevail but not this predatory justice system that is uh, kind of uh, uh, symbolized by these private prisons. I agree. I agree. I think uh, capitalism is great, but it is always uh, can be that greed. And that's what's been happening.
Go ahead, Harry. Sorry. How can America assist Bangladesh and how can Bangladesh assist America? Um, I think uh, Bangladesh being, uh, being a regionally significant, geostrategically significant country in South Asia, Banglad- uh, America can assist uh, Bangladesh uh, to restore global peace, uh, global order. And, you know, when everybody uh, is doing well, uh, you know, global peace is ensured. So, for example, if uh, good political uh, conditions exist in Bangladesh, uh, you know, and collaboration exists in Bangladesh, so America benefits, Bangladesh benefits. So I think uh, technology share is something very important uh, contribution America can make. America can bring its uh, technology to Bangladesh to empower this uh, rising country and uh, create a uh, create conditions of regional cooper- cooperation and intelligence share. I think one of the greatest uh, assistance America can offer to Bangladesh is intelligence share, so that global funda- uh, the fundamentalism cannot take roots in Bangladesh. You know, Bangladesh is also a kind of a, in a very complex geopolitical situation where fundamentalism can also uh, uh, mushroom and and breed. So intelligence share is very important. Furthermore, uh, uh, America can can bolster industrialization in Bangladesh by by investing in ready-made garments and also in other emerging industries in Bangladesh. For example, uh, 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 pharmaceuticals, bicycle making, uh, leather products. Uh, Bangladesh is in the throes of a major quote-unquote industrial revolution Mm -hmm. and America can participate in it and we help each other. But Bangladesh can also help America. How, how, does it, uh, how does Bangladesh help America? Bangladesh has become a mecca of development story. If anybody is studying development, that person goes to Bangladesh to see bottom-up development. Some of the iconic non-governmental organizations actually were, were born in Bangladesh, like BRAC uh, and uh, Grameen Bank. So and then and then also the prime minister of Bangladesh, Sheikh Hasina, also uh, created a lot of institutions, a lot of uh, government uh, safety net programs that helped develop uh, uh, that and ensured a, uh, a development of Bangladesh. So Bangladesh can bring some of its experiences of development to America. You know that America also has poverty. America has also uh, impoverished communities. Look at Baltimore, look at uh, Anacostia in, in, in Washington, DC. Look at San Francisco, one of the major American cities that, ha- that is plagued by homelessness. And uh, there are uh, in El Paso, Texas, there are poverty. There are poverty in many places. So America can learn from Bangladesh some of the poverty alleviation strategies that actually works. Go ahead, Harry. We're closing it. Well, we're, we want to thank you all uh, for your questions and your answers. You're working with us. We'll close by saying thank you and Amra Corbo Joy. 
Thank you very much. And I, I don't know when COVID will allow me to come back to DC, but as soon as it does, I'm coming there to eat. If Definitely. I'm not there, it's okay. And yes, yeah. and all three of you are invited to our, our modest house. You will have the best Bangladeshi cuisine ever. Amen. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. That was the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel.